So last night, or maybe it was this morning, I was in a foreign city, one that I have visited several times in recent weeks. A European-style metropolis with a treasure of an old city and a large and unremarkable modern center, and lots of backpacker traffic, including me. It was Prague, or maybe Guadalajara. And there I was, and I was tired of the travel and tired of the rootlessness. I had been staying yet another night at a nondescript flop house or youth hostel, clean enough but not beautiful, and lacking the comforts of home, which at this point in my travels I could barely remember. It was morning, and I attempted to revive myself from the world weariness with a cup of coffee, maybe an espresso, because this is a foreign city and therefore the coffee must be good. And just a few blocks from where I woke up, and a few terraced levels downhill, was a famous coffee cavern that I'd heard about. You know, like a wine cave, but coffee. And with good geographic instincts and a guidebook, I found it without difficulty, carrying my unwieldy duffel bag over my shoulder. The owner of the coffee cave was on site, and he happened to be explaining to a young patron, not me, the methodology he uses for making this coffee. I knew he saw me, but he showed no sign of reaching an end to his discourse, still bragging about the beans and pointing to his specially patented machinery. To make use of this waiting time, I decided to pull out fresh clothes and change to start this new day and to distinguish it more clearly from the previous one. I got down on my knees and opened the zipper of the duffel bag. The contents, now released from their confinement, began to expand. Like these mattresses you buy these days, flattened and vacuum sealed and delivered in a box, and which, upon release, begin to unfold and self-inflate, never to be compressed again. I knelt on the floor, desperately trying to rebag my rapidly expanding possessions, including not just bedding, but clothes, tools, and a rubber life raft. Suddenly, I realized I was already 37 minutes late for a Zoom call with my academic advisor because I had miscalculated the time difference between this city, Rome or whatever, and Ann Arbor, Michigan. Another patron, who turned out to be someone I knew, offered to help, and she took my phone and tried to connect to the call for me, but it was one of those moments when your helper doesn't know your specifics as well as you do, and so she stands there tinkering while I hop from foot to foot hoping to get my phone back. When she gave up, I went outside into the bright sunshine to make my call, deciding it was worth abandoning all my personal stuff, now strewn around the coffee cave, in order to salvage this call. But I had neglected to get an international plan on my phone. I wasn't certain it would even go through, and if it did, how big a fortune it would cost. But it didn't go through, and when I looked up from my phone, I realized I had wandered into everyone's morning commute, and I didn't know anymore where I was, or how to find the hostel, or the coffee cave, or anywhere else. I wasn't afraid. I knew I could ask for help. I could struggle through the Spanish or Czech or German, and someone would point the way or a way. I knew it would be okay. I just didn't know how to break off the unending meandering that I was doing. 
I didn't know how to give shape to a day or a series of days. I had lost the ability to make the morning feel new, bed feel refreshing, food feel nourishing, day's end feel satisfying. I was lost, wandering in the shapelessness of unrooted time. The shapelessness I have come to feel here every day. Not discomfort, not misfortune, thank God, but shapelessness. Days that are so alike, unpunctuated by movement and direction and direct human touch. Days that have come to a halt and have lost their ability to gain any fresh momentum. And with that thought, I am no longer in that foreign city, Munich or Casablanca, but in my own home where, looking around, I find myself in a static world. Time doesn't move here anymore, but it haunts me nonetheless. I am haunted by a phantom calendar of events that didn't happen. A congregational trip to Israel that would have ended yesterday. A Ner Shalom family camping trip that would have begun today. The photographic negative of graduations and celebrations and summer breaks. And a mark on the day when this epidemic is supposed to end. A mark erased and moved, erased and moved, now hovering always some time ahead, just out of reach. I am, in fact, fine holding to a commitment of immobility, of sitting still and staying home for as long as necessary if it allows this virus to pass over the houses and doorposts of this world as lightly as possible. I am committed to that. But I hadn't fathomed how numbing all the sameness, all the waiting would be. It was easy and heroic to maintain this seclusion for a while when it was new, when we were constantly problem solving, when our confinement was itself movement into the unknown. But at this point, months into the epidemic and 59 days into shelter in place, I have depleted a lot of my internal resources. I am waiting for a second wind to carry me through June, July, August. And I haven't yet spotted or felt that second wind on the horizon. So I look inward at my internal landscape, the field of my spirit. And what I see is soil depletion. For a while, things were sprouting like crazy, So many beautiful and creative responses to the moment. New offerings for the synagogue, new technologies to master, ideas to put forth, all fertilized by love and determination and no shortage of adrenaline. But now the plants, despite my cultivation, are looking scraggly to me. And I don't know how satisfying I will find the flavor of their fruit As I stand in this field, this field of my spirit, I begin hearing words. I look around me and I don't see a person or a radio. I realize I am hearing words of Torah, 
this week's Torah, in fact, because the words of Torah live in this landscape of the spirit. This realm is their native habitat, and words of Torah here waft in the air like jasmine without ever needing ink or parchment. The words I hear are about cyclicality, the rhythm of creation. The words of Torah are talking about Shemitah and Yovel, the sabbatical year and the jubilee. They are talking about letting the field rest every seventh season. And then every seventh of those cycles to just let go of commitments and investments. Let things roll back to their natural state. Let the soil refresh and the groundwater refill. I can't tell you whether this Torah should apply to our actual fields and economies these days, but it certainly applies to the field of my spirit. Standing there, Torah kept speaking these words, reminding me in this week of depletion and emotional meandering to just let it be. Step back. Rest in the knowledge that the nutrients will return to the soil and new growth will emerge and I will be here to cultivate it when it does. And that this will all happen on its schedule and not on mine. I can let go of the actual calendar and the ghost calendar and the incessant tick-tock and counting of days, step back and trust to the Ratzovishov, the throbbing, whirling reality of the universe's cyclicality. I take a deep breath. Can I do it? Can I stop tending and tinkering even for a minute? Can I let go of my need for every moment of this terrible time to be productive or meaningful or insight-giving? What will it feel like to give up not only travel and touch, but self-judgment, drivenness, high expectations of my own leadership? What will it be like to let this time be? Let it be its frustrating, tedious, anxious, and sad self without the pressure of having to be the source of global transformation or personal enlightenment. Let go, Torah keeps whispering like a warm breeze. You hold this all so tight. I look at the field and let my worry give way to trust, to faith. This field doesn't really belong to me. Not deep down, not really. It will bring forth sustenance in its own time. I put down my trowel and my watering can I watch the insects buzzing around the plants in the golden sunset. I watch the bees doing their work. I turn away from this vision, and again I am in Oslo or Barcelona or whatever it is, non-connective phone in hand, still trying to make my call. I power the phone down and slip it into my pocket. I retrace my steps looking around me this time at faces and sky 
and architecture. I find my way back to the coffee cave where I retrieve only the most important of my belongings and put them in my pockets close to my skin. I write a note and leave it on the duffel bag next to the capsized inflatable raft. Free stuff, it says. I turn away from caffeine's promise of a quick fix and step back out into the bright, warm morning. I find a sidewalk cafe and sit over a nourishing breakfast, looking out at the ocean or the park or whatever it is, without hurry. I might stay all day, all week, seven years, or 50. I can't speak for tomorrow, but right now, in this moment, there is nothing I need to do.